So think about landscaping, pavement, concrete, right? You have a swimming pool, you have a parking lot, pavement, anything like that, fencing. All that is 15-year depreciation. Now you have the option to take 100% of those accelerated deductions, like we said, 20 or 30% of the total property value in the first year, okay? So that's where 100% bonus depreciation comes in. This year, 2023, at the time of this recording, it was phased down to 80% bonus, which means you're able to take 80% of those accelerated deductions in the first year, and the remaining 20% can still go on those faster five, 15-year schedules. Welcome to the Lion's Den, the real estate podcast for perspicacious investors who know they have the strength to succeed in the lucrative commercial multifamily industry. Be an expert advice on your way to becoming a top performer. I'm your host, Adam Parrish. I have two of my co-hosts today, Donato Callahan and Lisa Parrish. How are the two of you doing today? Great. Awesome. Excited. Awesome. And the conundrum of today's episode, should I get a cost segregation study? What are the tax benefits? Today, we bring on a powerhouse with property owners tax savings. As business director at Madison Specs, a national cost segregation leader, he has assisted clients in saving hundreds of millions of dollars on taxes through cost segregation. He has a background in teaching and a passion for real estate and helping others. He's a real estate investor and host of the top podcast, Weiss Advice. Let's welcome on the lion's den, Yona Weiss. Thank you for coming on. It is my pleasure. And uh, I don't know if I've ever been introduced like that as a conundrum, but no, I'm not trying to I'm not I'm not the conundrum, but I'm happy to to take it take the lions then on head first. Yeah, we try and make awesome. things a little interesting around here. <laughs> Let's go. Definitely. Absolutely. I just went to the zoo this morning, so it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see some lions? No, they actually they closed the lion exhibit. Uh, I think they're doing some mm. some renovations. So but we got to see some other great animals. We got plenty of lions on the show today. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Yona, what's the word of the day? The word I'm going to go with is giving. And, you know, we could, we could use variations of it if you want. Give. Giveth. <laughs> I was seeing if there I, like I said variations. And then I was like, wait a second. Is there a variation of giving? <laughs> Try to come up with one. Yeah, I like that. Good word. All right, Yona, uh, would you like to start off by just telling us your story a little bit? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned in the intro, I was a teacher. My background is doing that. I did that for about 15 years and really has been my passion. I love it. Um, but at a certain point in time, it really didn't pay the bills. And with a growing family, it was challenging, to say the least. You know, student debt and all kinds of other stuff going on. And I decided, hey, I need to make some changes and figure out something else, some other source of income that can kind of help my family stay afloat and also thrive. And real estate came up in conversation every time I mentioned to different acquaintances and friends of mine that I was kind of looking for a new opportunity. It just kept coming up. So I was like, okay, let me look into it. And then I had the you know fateful meeting in a parking lot of a good friend of mine. It was like, hey, this one, I'm trying to looking to do something new. And people keep mentioning real estate. He said, well, yeah, why, why not? Why don't you come work with me? I was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> and, and that kind of started off kind of my journey into real estate apprenticing. This good friend of mine who was a very successful mortgage broker and he owned uh, many multifamily rentals that he was managing, doing asset management, property management, all that stuff. And I was just like 
sitting in his office, you know, every day for like nine months, just learned everything there was to know about commercial real estate. And it really accelerated, accelerated my growth um, to a huge amount. Before that point, this is like going back probably like eight years ago, I knew virtually nothing about real estate, let alone commercial real estate. But because I think my teaching background, I was able to pick up on a lot of these concepts relatively quickly. And then, you know, obviously having a mentor, having someone to take me to places that I never even knew I could get to uh, was was really beneficial to me. And he really gave me opportunities um, that I, I didn't even know were there. As, I mean, to, to continue the, the story a little bit, I, you know, one thing led to another. I got my real estate broker's license and then we did some fix and flips together and tried a bunch of different things until I met this company, Madison Commercial Real Estate, Madison Specs, and they were looking for someone in the uh, at cost segregation. That's the company, Madison Specs. I knew nothing of what that was, but I thought I would give it a shot. Anything like that. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> So you said yes. You know, there was some, there was an opportunity, and you said, "Let's say yes now and figure it out along the way." That's exactly right, and it's really been a you know what has been and still is uh, a philosophy of mine, and really just an approach that I've taken in life. You know, their opportunity presents itself if it's uh, appropriate. You know, I'll, I'll I'll take it and see where it leads. Absolutely, I think a lot of folks get caught up in the. Uh, preparation and uh, mm-hmm. always preparing, always studying, always reading, and waiting for the opportunity to come along uh, once they finally feel ready. But you know, I think those who've gone through it recognize that you have to say yes to the opportunity to provide yourself almost that incentive or that discipline to make yourself learn how to execute on the opportunity the most. And you got to say yes first and figure it out later. Yeah, and you just have to have faith that the net will will show up. And either sometimes the net shows up when you need it to, or you just, like Donato said, you, you're you motivated enough to figure it out because at that point you've put yourself in that situation. You've got you've to put yourself in uncomfortable situations to really be able to expand as a person. Obviously, that worked out, that decision. What year was that when you went to Madison? So that was about 2017, so about six years ago. Okay, so I met you about a year after that. Correct. And when I met you with some old partners of mine in South Carolina, you are the one that taught me about cost segregation, really. I, I had heard about it, wow. but I didn't really understand it. And um, yeah, Yona sat with us at like this coffee shop. I don't know if you remember this because I know you meet a million people. But sure. Um, when you're telling me all this, I mean, I would have thought that you had been in the business for years and years and years. So that that surprises me that it had only been a year. That's very impressive. You know, what's also impressive, though, just sorry, what's really impressive is that same meeting. I had actually gone inside and I ran into someone that knew me and he's like, how do you know Yona Weiss? And I said, well, how do you know him? Do you remember I told you that? Yeah. And I I said, I just I just met him. And he's like, oh, everybody knows Yona. So that's even more impressive because your networking skills are amazing. Everyone knows who you are. That's right. Yeah, I do. I do remember that very vividly, actually. Um, He was a property manager and through LinkedIn, I really, and through social media that I was able to kind of build this, uh, this presence. And a lot of it came through just really, and I'm using this word again, but really through giving, because that's really my philosophy, like just helping other people and using social media, especially LinkedIn at the time. And still to this day, to a great extent, is it, is it amazing platform to just help other people, um, you know, providing 
besides for just providing value by posting educational content and uh, answering questions all the time. But it's really about making connections. Um, and the networking, like you said, is about just not not just getting to know people, but connecting other people. And when you connect other people, that that's something I love to do. And that just expands your network like exponentially. That's so yeah. true. Ryan Woolley has that same philosophy. I mean, we all believe that, but Ryan Woolley, I think you know who he is. Sure. One of them, one of the best, you know, connectors of people. And, but I agree, you give and you help other people and it's just a side effect. Money and, you know, connections just are a side effect of that. So I'm going to yeah. give you, I'm going to give you a little preliminary <laughs> question here before cost segregation. What is depreciation for taxes? That's a perfect uh, introduction to cost segregation because depreciation is just, uh, cost segregation rather is an advanced form of depreciation. Um, and so depreciation, even though it sounds negative, right? You think, oh, something going down in value. Well, it's really just a borrowed term. And so you have to understand this. It doesn't mean that your property is actually going down in value. It just means the IRS gives you, there you go, a tax deduction based on the purchase price of your property and allows you to literally write off the entire value of that property over a long period of time, 27 years for or for real estate, uh, residential or multifamily properties. And for other commercial types of assets, it's over a 39-year period. So that's a really long time. And it essentially, like I said, it's just a tax income tax deduction. So that's what depreciation is. Albeit, there are some people that think that depreciation is just like the opposite of appreciation, right? Going up in value, going down in value. You just have to remember that when it comes to real estate, it's just a borrowed term that's used as a tax deduction. And just to kind of hone that that point a little further home, is it's totally subjective to you as the owner because it's not intrinsic in the building. And the, what I mean by that is, it starts over every time the property changes hands. So you get to depreciate your property, you know, and you buy, you know, you sell it, and the new owner gets to start that 27 and a half years over fresh uh, when he buys the property. So that, you know, that time period is completely sort of subjective to exactly whoever's owning the property at that time. And I think I'll ask another question for the audience. You're saying that when it comes to depreciation, that is over a period of 27 and a half to 29 and a half years, depending on your asset. But a commercial multifamily, typically we're buying properties and holding them for three to seven years. So how are we able to capture the benefits of taxes that are typically held over 27 and a half years if we're going to only going to own the property for a couple of years? So was that a rhetorical? I mean, you said for the audience. So I'm <laughs> yeah, no, asking, asking for the He's audience. He's asking it knowing the audience is asking it. Yeah. I'll let it fall straight up the middle for you. <laughs> there you go. It's a perfect segue because you're exactly right. The whole point of cost segregation is this advanced strategy to allow you to pull from this pool of potential deductions that you may never see and just allow you to kind of pull them forward. And so the process happens through an engineering study of a property, and it breaks down the property into its different components. And it actually used to be called component depreciation, which makes a lot more sense than cost segregation, which is just a confusing name. Like, what does that even mean? But we're, we're segregating the cost. So essentially, we're taking the purchase price and we're breaking it down into different categories. Uh, some things can depreciate inside the property over a five-year schedule and others on a 15-year schedule. 
And the structure and the structural components are the only things that are depreciating on that 27 and a half, 39 year schedule. So if you think about a building and you just like kind of break it down, I'm like, okay, now I can take the tax deductions of certain of those components at a faster rate. Meaning again, just pulling from that pool of potential deductions saying in the first year or over the first few years, I can sometimes get 20 or 30% of the total deductions up front instead of waiting, you know, and just taking two to 3% of that, you know, every single year, a little bit every single year. So kind of just to illustrate before we go and break down, you know, what are those five year, what are those 15 year, what are those different components that we're depreciating, just to kind of illustrate what that means, just to give you some numbers for our listeners to make it exciting. We're not going to do a, a huge math lesson here, but just to keep it simple, if you buy a million dollar property, your normal, you know, 27 and a half year depreciation would be approximately a $30,000 deduction every single year. Okay, so you buy a million dollar property, that's great. You automatically get to write off from your income tax $30,000, okay? Round numbers here, it's not exact, okay? So don't hold me to it. But essentially what that means is you reduce your tax liability. So depreciation by itself is amazing, right? I mean, I think everyone would agree. I just, just for no reason, just because the government says I can take this and I'm like, as if the property is going down in value, I'm able to write it off a little bit every single year. But again, it's not going down in value. You just get to take that deduction. Comes cost segregation. And again, before we get into the, the numbers, let's say you can take 20 or 30% of those potential deductions in the first year. Okay, now we're talking about two to $300,000 of that million dollar property as a tax write-off in the first year or the first few years. So again, just to kind of blow your minds about, okay, now I'm interested and I can get this huge tax deduction now we can break down and kind of understand a little more of the mechanics of how that actually works. How about when you go to sell the property? How does that work as far as? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lisa, jumping right into the. Oh, right I'm the sorry, detail. Adam. I don't mean to just skip anything if that. Is no, no, no. Probably skip anything. It's one of the first questions people ask because they, they want to know, okay. And again, this really goes down to, well, what's the downside of this? Is this something you should, everyone should be doing? And is this all, you know, just great, great stuff? Or is there any risk involved or is there any downside to this? And it's really important to ask that question. So yes, any anytime you sell a property, you're going to be subject to a tax called depreciation recapture tax. Okay. It's very similar to a capital gain tax, which everyone is kind of familiar with. If you buy a property and you sell it for more than you bought it for, you're going to be charged a tax, capital gain tax, on the amount, the difference between the purchase price and the sale price. So too, depreciation recapture is the benefit that you've taken those depreciation deductions, you're now going to be taxed on that amount of depreciation you took. So it's called an unrealized gain because you did benefit from that. The main benefit of doing cost segregation is the time value of money, okay, of being able to use those deductions now, reinvest that, right? If you can take a $200,000 deduction right now and just use those tax savings instead of paying the government and using your own money to reinvest, that's that can be huge. You can make a lot more money instead of just paying the government, right? So that's what the time value of money is. However, when you go to sell, you're going to be subject to this tax, which is it's broken down into three different categories. So without going into a very deep explanation of how depreciation recapture tax works, it's important to note that it's always going to be less than had you just paid the tax up front. Okay? It's always going to be less then had you just paid the tax up front. I think it's really important to know because people think, okay, I'm going to take this depreciation and then people use this term, it's recaptured. Okay, so they kind of take the tax term of recapture tax and kind of put it into a verb, right? It's being recaptured. 
which which you mean people think that means I have to pay it all back. No, it does not mean you're paying back any depreciation. It means you're subject to this tax. But again, remember, it's always lower than had you just paid the tax up front. Okay. Another important thing is that there are ways to defer that tax. That was the next question. Yeah. Bonus depreciation. Bonus depreciation, a 1031 exchange, you can further defer that. Or there are ways to even offset that or lower that tax liability on the sale from having losses from other properties, et cetera. So there's a difference between being subject to a tax and paying a tax, right? We, and that's why I think one of the reasons we're talking here is because depreciation and conservation is one of the biggest tax benefits of real estate investing. And it goes with every single property. And I think a lot of people misunderstand this and think, okay, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to take the depreciation and I won't have to worry about it at all. I won't have to worry about the recapture either, right? Wrong. Unfortunately, even if you don't claim the depreciation deduction, which you're rightfully able to do, the IRS considers it as if you did. And therefore, you're going to be subject to that tax on the sale, regardless of if you benefit from the deductions or not. So obviously, take depreciation. And if it's going to be to your benefit, take the accelerated depreciation, which is this cost irrigation. So if I'm awesome. just really getting into real estate and I have in my, in my goals to have a lengthy career throughout real estate, and I'm doing commercial multifamily or whatever you know, asset you're looking into, you can buy a property, rapidly accelerate the amount of money that I'm going to save in taxes via cost segregation. When I've finished with that property's hold period and I sell it, I do something like 1031 exchange, defer that tax. And if I continue to buy another property, cost segregate that, cost segregate that property, then 1031 the proceeds from that property. I can basically leapfrog consistently from asset to asset using these programs that are you know, incentivized by the government to continue pushing the tax bill down the road for however long I choose to. Right. They say, you know, swap till you drop. Just keep, keep doing it, right? And the 1031 exchange. But it's even better if it's coupled with continuing to buy properties year after year. Meaning in your example where you're just buying one asset and trading it up every year or every few years or whatever, it's best when you know, again you're using these tax savings to reinvest while you're still holding you know the first asset you're still holding the first property now you have all these tax benefits these tax deductions which means you're not paying income tax well you use those savings to buy another property and then you can you know buy a third property and this is probably one of the greatest tools to be able to scale faster because again the whole time you're buying properties, you're essentially not paying income tax. Okay? You're going to be subject to that tax on the sale, right? Maybe. But then you may have enough properties to have enough losses or deductions from the other properties to offset the gains on the sale of, of the first property. So again, not just, you know, yes, you can just buy one and then swap it a few years later and trade up and keep trading. I mean, this is a great strategy to do. But, you know, the more you buy, right? the more benefit you're having along, you know, along the road. Everyone should buy as many properties concurrently as quickly as possible. That's what I'm here. Exactly. <laughs> gotcha. Very cool. Does it work any differently from state to state? Yes, there are certain rules, even though depreciation is really federal income tax deduction. However, on the state level, it is a little bit different. So every state recognizes right, depreciation. However, there are certain states that don't recognize the bonus depreciation. So we didn't really talk about that yet, but we can kind of segue into that and discuss what the bonus depreciation is. 
And uh, every state recognizes regular depreciation. Every state recognizes cost irrigation method, okay, which again is accelerating certain components to a five-year schedule, other components to a seven-year or 15-year schedule. And so we're able to take bigger tax deductions during those earlier years. There was something, a tax reform back, I don't know if anyone remembers, back in 2017 called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And what that did was introduce a law called 100% bonus depreciation, which allowed you, once you've done a cost irrigation study and accelerated depreciation to these faster categories, and we can talk about what some of those components are, like the five-year would include anything interior, which is non-structural, like think about appliances or furniture, fixtures, cabinets, flooring, right? Anything that's non-structural. 15-year property is land improvements, anything outside. So think about landscaping, pavement, concrete, right? You have a swimming pool, you have a parking lot, pavement, anything like that, fencing. All that is 15-year depreciation. Now you have the option to take 100% of those accelerated deductions, like we said, 20 or 30% of the total property value in the first year, okay? So that's where 100% bonus depreciation comes in. This year, 2023, at the time of this recording, it was phased down to 80% bonus, which means you're able to take 80% of those accelerated deductions in the first year, and the remaining 20% can still go on those faster five, 15-year schedules, okay? Now, going back to Adam's question, there are certain states that did not recognize the 100% bonus depreciation, meaning you can still do cost irrigation and you can still take bonus depreciation on the federal income tax level, but on your state income tax, you have to essentially use a different calculation and use just the regular conservation method. Okay, very interesting. Which states are the friendliest to commercial multifamily investors when it comes to state taxes and bonus depreciation? Um, probably, I would say like Texas, because there's no state tax and, uh, you know, Florida, those states in general, any state that doesn't have a state income tax is probably the most, most friendly. Perfect. And there are many others, but those are just the first two that came to mind. Sure. And I know that's where a lot of investors uh, do their business as well. A lot of interest in Texas, a lot of metropolitan and primary, secondary, any tertiary markets in Texas get a lot of attention and same in Florida. So it's to know that, you know, for those listening out there as well, that those choices and what markets to invest in isn't just, and this is where I feel like investing. There are tax benefits written into the law that are um, going to come out to play when you choose to invest in certain areas. Exactly. So what does it typically look like um, based off how many years you're going to get that cost segregation tax benefits, like whether it's going to be in the first year or if it's going to be two or three years in? How is that sort of decided? Yeah, I mean, the, the real decision is based on everyone's individual situation. You know, I think one of the things that we like to do is provide an upfront estimate you know, which will run the calculations of the 100% or 80% bonus depreciation methodology of depreciation versus just the regular cost irrigation versus the straight line had you not done any cost like and just used a regular, what, 27 and a half year depreciation method. And we can show you those numbers up front. And it's really, you know, a great decision, um, you know, maker for, for a lot of people just to understand what it looks like and, and how I can compare. So the main benefit is going to be usually, especially if you're using bonus depreciation in the first year, because you're getting this huge lump sum, which in many cases will reduce your tax liability to zero. Um, and, and oftentimes have more deductions, more losses than you actually have income. 
which can you know create a refund in certain cases or just create these extra losses that will carry forward that you can use next year. So I think that's the main benefit for most people. However, in the first, I'd say five years or so, that's usually when um, it's most beneficial. Is there anything um, that you would recommend or wouldn't recommend as far as size of property, pricing of prices of property? Um, you know, you have more benefit on a more expensive property. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of factors, um, but just in general, conservation can be done on any type of property. So there's no limitations on type of property. Um, single families can even be done. We've done a lot of those, especially like short-term rentals, for example, um, single family Airbnbs. However, you cannot do it in your primary residence. So that's a question I get a lot. You know, can I just depreciate my house? No, unfortunately, you can't. But um, if you live in a duplex and you live in one unit, rent out the other, you can. And so it's prorated to the amount that you that you live in, uh, which is the rental property and which is the part you live in, and then you break that out. However, the the amount is a very important factor because depreciation and conservation is going to be a percentage of that purchase price. Remember, it starts over and resets the depreciation whenever the property changes hands. So it's going to be totally based on your purchase price. Typically, any property purchased for over two or $300,000, that's where it starts to make sense, where you're going to be getting you know, a much larger tax benefit than you know, how much it costs, et cetera. Versus you know, the larger the property is, if you're dealing with a million-dollar property or a $10 million property, the fee for getting it done is going to be pretty much the same, right? It's we, it's not a contingency fee, meaning you're not going to take a percentage of the tax savings or anything like that. So you may be paying the same uh, to get it done, a few thousand dollars or so for a single family or a multi, small multifamily versus a 200-unit building, right? And so the tax savings are obviously going to be much greater because it's a percentage of that purchase price, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So why don't you tell us, Lisa? I mean, you've obviously benefited from this yourself. Uh, I have. Talking <laughs> about going back five years, uh, yeah. the first time we met. But what, how have you seen this benefit you as a as a multifamily investor? Oh, it's been wonderful. I mean, it actually helps us be able to raise money as well. And it's one of the strategies that we use to raise money is because, you know, you're raising money from people with wealthy, expendable income, and they're always looking for ways to offset their income. and so we 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 really pushed the bonus depreciation, hundred percent bonus depreciation, and all the different benefits of being able to have that that big you know tax write off. And we've used your company Madison Specs many many times, and using them again very soon. So, um, and you guys have always been very responsive and and easy to get in touch with, and it's been great. Okay, appreciate that. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome. And I, yeah. you know, without without getting into it, I assume you've paid uh, you know very little taxes uh, over the past five years or so. Yeah, I mean we've we've made quite a bit of money, and um, so have paid some taxes because you know it's hard to sometimes when you're selling properties and not doing we don't always do exchanges because sometimes that's a bit complicated. So for the times that we haven't done exchanges, it's definitely helped us keep a lot more money in our pocket for sure. I think without cost segregation. We definitely wouldn't be where we are. So I I do almost always recommend it to to everyone buying a property. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, any more pressing questions or we want to move on to trivia questions? 
Well, I think, you know, really important thing to note when you're talking about conservation, you know, a lot of people, when they think about taxes, kind of their brains shut off, you know, and I, <laughs> I think if you're listening to this, you probably relate to that because I think like 95% of the population, when you just like mention taxes, they're like, uh, yeah. I have an accountant that deals with right. right? But here's the thing. Even a lot of accountants don't understand the conservation. Yeah. And even though this is not some like weird, you know, out there strategy, this is directly in the tax code. It's just something very specific to real estate and not all accountants are real estate specialists. And so you need to, uh, you, you know, you may be hearing this and like bring it up to your accountant and maybe come back to you know, like, uh, I don't think this is possible or yada, yada. There's so many excuses or, or misconceptions about costing, even among accountants. You're so, so right. Right. That I mean, that's that's an amazing point because we I have talked to a couple of different accountants that have actually suggested we don't do cost segregation studies. So at the beginning, that was actually a confusion for us as our CPAs were telling us don't do it. And that was because later on they knew that we would have we would have the recapture or be subject to the recapture. But they don't understand or they're not thinking about the, the you know, time cost of money and how when you are an investor, you're always looking for more money to reinvest because we have our money working for us and accountants work for, you know, that paycheck, basically. So they're just thinking completely differently about about money in general. 100%. And there's a lot of reasons why, you know, they may consider it. But even still, believe it or not, there are many accountants out there that don't even understand it, let alone, you know, recommending for different reasons. Okay. And that's totally yeah. a valid point. Have someone say, okay, they may may not be in your best interest for X, Y, Z, but for someone to just be like, no, this this is impossible, or you can't do this, or it costs like fifty thousand dollars to get it done, so which is not true, right? Right. But some accountants think that way, and so you just have to make sure that if you bring this up to your accountant and they come back to you like, you know, this is some sort of scam or something, you know that you may want to get a second opinion. You may want to. I seek out a real estate focused accountant if exactly. you are a real estate investor. Yeah, and make sure that you're when you're at when you are looking for mentorship that you're actually talking to people who do this. If you talk if you talk to people who are very successful at buying rental property, they've probably already benefited from this. Talk to people like that, and then you educate your CPA or you go to a CPA that understands it. There's a lot of CPAs that are actually investors as well. So if you can find a a real estate um, CPA that actually invests in their own properties, they're really going to understand it a lot more. Absolutely. I'm curious, how is real estate in Israel right now? Well, it's a good question. Uh, to be honest, I don't really know. Uh, even though oh. I do, I do live in Israel currently, but uh, I I only invest in the U.S., so I don't have too much knowledge of the real estate markets here. That's a good question. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I was just interested. Yeah, I'm not sure if you talked to many folks, um, you know, in Israel where you're at about the U.S. markets, but I'm interested in how foreign investors view U.S. capital markets, specifically commercial multifamily investments as a, well, maybe safe haven uh, for, inter- for their funds compared to other international opportunities. Can you speak to that at all about maybe what the perception is of you know more multifamily or real estate in the U.S. when uh, for outside investors? Sure, I mean I I have seen it only in the positive light, meaning I've seen a lot of capital coming from Israel to the U.S. for that specific reason because the um, so I guess you know indirectly I understand the real estate market in Israel because so many people are putting money in the U.S. 
clearly the returns are better. And there are ways, like even with depreciation, even as a foreign investor, there are ways to benefit from that. And so I do see a lot of foreign money coming in. It, it's a little more complicated, when it, again, when it comes to taxes and when it comes to legalities, but there are obviously the, the multifamily and commercial real estate in the U.S. is by far probably one of the best markets. Yeah, I agree. I thought they were going to feel like we're going to trivia here soon. Am I wrong? Yes, sir. You, well, no, you aren't wrong. Okay. I'm, okay. Are you ready for the commercial multifamily lion's den? Trivia time. Yeah. <laughs> then I'll put some music in there to make it sound cooler. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Question number one. According to a report by Marcus and Millichap, which market had the largest rent change since 2019? And then I'll give um, multiple choice, of course. Yeah, I'm going to go with Phoenix. That's a good answer. Okay. It's Mark. Oh, it's multiple it's market- choice? <laughs> yeah, it's multiple choice. I mean, it's one of them coming in differently. Number one, Tampa, St. Petersburg. Number two, Orlando. Number three, Phoenix. Or number four, Charlotte. Well, I think you know Yanni's answer. <laughs> yeah, it caught me out of guard. I, think, I forgot you were going multiple choice. I think Phoenix is a good answer, but I'll go Charlotte because I know that's a big one too. Donato? I will go with... I'm feeling pretty good about Phoenix. These are all good good market. Yeah. Yeah. The answer is Tampa, St. Petersburg. Oh, Oh, really? But Phoenix was a good answer. Yeah. Charlotte wasn't a good answer? No, they were all decent answers. (laughs) They were all on the top, but uh, Tampa, St. Petersburg was 57.3%, and the others were in the mid-40s. Whoa. 57% 57% in rent. Wow. A lot of demand there, yeah. clearly. Yeah, we're in Tucson right now. That's where we moved or moved back to. And, I mean, people are crying out here. They can't afford rent. Right. So, right, I guess the apartments are staying full, so they're affording it. Mm-hmm. It's rough. Got to get some more uh, more new construction out there. Yeah, exactly. Inventory, as well as in Tucson, inventory is very low. Okay, question number two. Wait, who got that right? Oh, nobody no got one. that right. No, no. Give the, I want to give the point to Yona, though, because he, he got one of the four <laughs> questions, one of the four answers. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's true. That was actually good. You guessed one of the four. Okay, question number two. According to an analysis by Morgan Stanley, how much commercial real estate debt is projected to be due by the end of 2025? And the mm-hmm. range that we're working within is $200 billion to $5 trillion. Okay. So uh, no multiple choice this time? We're just uh, a guessing or we're, we're still just a range. multiple choice? It's something between, between $200 billion trillion and $5 trillion. Trillion. That's a pretty big the range. Six, 16 months. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in at about $1.8 trillion good guess 1.8 trillion yeah so i think there's a lot of bridge debt coming up 
that unfortunately someone picked up in 2020, 2018, 2019, 2020. And uh, yeah, I want to bet 1.8. What about you, Lisa? You, you want to guess? <laughs> I'll say 2.5 trillion. So All you right. can go maybe above or below. I'm going to say $1. $1. $1. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were Two hundred billion, right? That was a low part. There we go. Uh, Two hundred and one. No, uh, I'm going to go uh, somewhere in the middle. I think. I think it's probably maybe closer, like two point two, two point three trillion. Okay, great. So the answer is one point five trillion. Could Ooh. be close, a little closer to two trillion. It's not an exact number, but the analysis is one point five. Okay, very close. Okay. okay. Either way, it's a so all in over. So one point five trill. That's a lot. That is a, that at the current rates will not be able to be refinanced. No, Probably I mean, not. A lot of opportunity that's coming around. Absolutely. That, that's what I see. Question number three. According to a report by Marcus and Millichap, which market had the smallest rent change since 2019? And the four Answers are either number one, Seattle, Tacoma, number two, Pittsburgh, number three, San Francisco, or number four, Boston. San Francisco. Pittsburgh. I think I'm going to go with Seattle because, uh, and I'll give my, my reason. I think San Francisco, uh, for example, and Boston have, have had a decrease. Um, at least from what I recall. So you're talking about no change or, or very little change whatsoever, the right? Smallest change. Change whatsoever. So and they, they all up or down. They all went up a little bit. Oh really? I'm surprised by that. Since 2019, over the last four years. So we got we got one for I'm Pittsburgh, thinking. one for Seattle, one for uh, said, uh, San Francisco. California, San Francisco. Okay. The answer is probably going to be Boston for sure. <laughs> of course. <laughs> What is it, Adam? The answer is San Francisco. Oh, really? Wow. Is that like by because of rent control apartments? Is that, uh, I wonder what that. What rent that... control, people are moving away. So they've got to, I mean, I would have thought actually a price drop but as I'm well. San Fran. Wow. Interesting. It's the time of uh, California dominating the U.S. Uh, rental markets. Is this just. Is the time coming to a close? Enough people are leaving, huh? Finally, yeah. Sizable shift. U.S. Southeast coming in strong. Midwestern markets as well coming up. Texas is tracking so much. Who knows? We'll see what happens with California over the next couple of years. People just keep yeah. moving away. Mm. Okay. Yona, where can people find you? Want to give any links or anything? Yona is easy to find. <laughs> I'm easy to find. I'm, I'm very active on a lot of the socials, especially LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram. You can find me on any of those places. You can also go to yonaweiss.com. Uh, reach out to me there. And give a plug Give a plug for Weiss Advice. Yes, Weiss Advice. Go check it out, everybody. It's Excellent nice. podcast. How many episodes have you done now? Um, I think we're up to about 360-ish. Oh, no. I think I was one of, of the advice. first ones. I think I was one of the first ones on there. 
you were you were uh, in fact if i want i can pull up but you were you were definitely like, in the first uh 20 or 30 episodes an og here people og i should, I should come on again a lot has changed it's true <laughs> is that a weekly podcast it is uh, i publish two episodes a week so we've been doing it a little over three years now wow that's awesome all right, Adam, we're going to get that amazing patent pending outro. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Multifamily Lion's Den podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to leave us a like, subscribe, and share with anyone you think you can value from today's episode. All links will be in the show's description along with the Lion's Den Facebook page and website. Thank you, and have a roaring day. Thank <sighs> you.